Today on Ag News Daily. You know, when we're doing other you know, operations in the field like detasseling, maybe we're trying to irrigate a field. Um, so having a fungicide there in the, in the ground, uh, protecting the plant throughout the season, is just is a good feeling to know that you got something out there protecting against foliar diseases. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Zyway Brand Fungicides by FMC. And Delaney, today is finally the day that we get to talk a little bit more about the Zyway Brand Fungicides. So folks are going to have to stay tuned in to hear more about that from Darren Lucas. But in the meantime, you and I have got some things to chat about. What do you have for us today, Delaney? Well, I have to just say to that, I'm extremely ecstatic, Ashton, because today it is 55 degrees outside and it feels so warm. I don't need a coat for once. I know I am pretty excited about the weather today as well, because I could go outside with just a little sweatshirt on. So it is shaping up to be a beautiful day here in Lubbock, as well as Des Moines. Hopefully folks across the world are experiencing some good weather, too. Yes, I love it so much. It's wonderful when it uh, warms up like this. However, we're going to get like five to seven inches of snow on Friday. So I have to enjoy it really today. And that's it. Well, at least it'll make for a cozy weekend. Yes, it will. It'll be a good weekend to snuggle up by our fireplace and watch Netflix or catch up on reading or whatever, but not good to be outside. So today I'm going to have to go out and probably get a walk in this afternoon. Well, Delaney, do you have any Netflix shows geared up for you to watch? I always like talking about what folks are binge watching right now. Oh, of course. I watch lots of stupid Netflix shows. Um, Well, I shouldn't say a lot. It kind of comes in waves where, especially during the winter, like I feel that we watch probably more TV because there's just not as much to do outside. But we just finished up a Netflix series called Stay Close, which is based on a Harlan Coben novel. And if you're a reader, you've probably heard of his name or you've maybe read his books. But Netflix puts together little mini series kind of based on his books. And that one was a really good one. It was kind of like a psychological thriller type of, you know, girl on the train type of thing. I am going to have to look that one up. I don't think that I'm super familiar with those. I'm more of a Real Housewives kind of person. I've been binge watching the latest season of Real Housewives of Atlanta. So that's the train I'm on. Okay, I'm not into that type of thing. So we can't relate there. But of course, Yellowstone season four just finished up as well. Was a little disappointed on the final season or the latest season, I should say. I hope they're going to do at least one more to make up for it. But That's kind of all the Netflix watching we've been doing lately. But I have been doing a lot of market watching and news watching today. And Ashton, of course, today was the big USDA WASD report that came out at 11 a.m. Central Time today. And I know you were watching the markets right as that report drops. Before we get into discussing that report, what did you see from a market standpoint? Well, right when it dropped, I was looking at markets about 11.10, 11.15 this morning, and corn and soybeans were both down, but it has taken a little bit of a turnaround today. I'm looking at the markets right now, and beans are up, and corn is up, or at least the, the December 22 contract is up, but we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the market situation, but a little bit of a turnaround here later in the afternoon. 
Which I think is to be expected. I mean, typically the report does react pretty initially to the news and then it starts to chew through it and figure out that it's not as big of a deal as maybe it likes to think it is initially. But today's big headline from the report, which I'm sure many of our listeners who are in tune with the market have already seen, but the report really didn't do a whole lot when it came to U.S. production. However, it did quite a bit when it came to Brazilian production, which again comes as no surprise because we have seen a lot of continued hot and dry weather down there in Brazil and Argentina both. And we did finally see that reflected in today's market story. So as you look at report the report today for wheat, corn, and soybeans, USDA came in at a 6 128 million bushel ending stock number for wheat, a 1.54 billion number for corn and a point or a 35 million bushel number for soybeans. That was pretty aligned with the average expectation. Aside from corn, that was maybe a little bit on the high end of expectations of the trade expectations. Soybeans, really, that was kind of right in par with where analysts were expecting. And on the wheat side as well, really right in line with what a lot of analysts were expecting. Now, of course, as I mentioned, South America really was kind of the wild card that came in today. And on the Brazilian side of things, we saw USDA drop both corn and soybean numbers, soybean production numbers on the Brazilian balance sheet, which really, I think, Again, comes as no surprise. We have been expecting or waiting to see when they would, in fact, do this because we've been continuing to see hot and dry weather there in South America. But certainly going to be an interesting ride here as we continue to follow that story, Ashton, and see how that plays out come harvest time. You know, we were talking last year at this time about continuing tightening of stocks and tightening of supplies. And that certainly does paint the picture that we're continuing to trend that way. So certainly makes things a little more interesting when you look at the commodity markets. You know, Delaney, another thing that we're kind of looking at how things are really going to play out is the installation of electric vehicles. And we've talked a little bit before about how Biden had a goal of, you know, X number of electric vehicles in the presidential fleet and, you know, kind of implementing that a little bit more in the commercial marketplace. And the House Agriculture Committee is now looking into the implications of electric vehicles on ag and rural America. And I really hadn't thought about taking a closer look at how this is really going to impact us, but a couple of higher ups on the Hill are. Chairman David Scott says that he wants to make sure that rural communities aren't left behind as the administration is increasing this electric vehicle investment and adoption to help decarbonize transportation. He wants to make sure that we're making you know, the, the right choices when it comes to biofuels and some of these things that kind of play into this electric vehicle installation are potentially going to hurt, you know, biofuel producers. And I just wonder if we're going to start seeing more electric equipment when it comes to agriculture. I know that there's a couple of tractors kind of in the marketplace right now, but ranking member Glenn Thompson says that he also wants to know who's going to finance the investments in electric generation and transmission capacity, which I think is a good point to make here. Absolutely. And there's, I think it's interesting to look at things like this. You look at the autonomous space, they're really booming all across the sector in multiple areas. 
And, and they really are. And another point that I forgot to mention here that Thompson is making is that we could wind up with brownouts and blackouts. And I mean, you know, the, the Texas electronic grid um, isn't known for the, the best support system. So I think that there's a couple of different things that we have to take into consideration, not just that, you know, we're decarbonizing this space or working towards that. There's a lot of moving parts here that we really have to take into consideration before we adopt this giant idea into our society, I think. Well, and speaking of that, this is an interesting idea that's right along the lines of what you're talking about in the carbon space. I've been kind of following this since one of our listeners, Gary Rasmussen, sent me an article on Facebook the other day. But there's quite a few folks, especially here in the state of Iowa, that are working to build a carbon multiple, from what I understand, carbon pipeline. So very similar in my understanding, which is very little, of this pipeline system to the Keystone pipeline system, which of course pumps fuel or oil or whatever through uh, the pipeline underground. But ADM and Wolf Carbon Solutions announced just yesterday that they've signed a letter of intent to pave the way for further decarbonization of ADM's footprint through the construction of a carbon pipeline, which would be a 350-mile steel trunk line capable of transporting about 12 million tons of carbon underground per year. I do not fully understand how this works because I feel like with oil or gasoline or you know any sort of liquid material, it makes sense in my mind how it gets from point A to point B. But for something like carbon, I can't really fully grasp how something like this works underground. And more importantly, if it's permanently stored underground, I would assume that there's something in place to help it move. But also with you know ground freezing and temperature fluctuations, I'm curious how that affects carbon being housed and pumped through underground. But of course, there's a lot of environmental groups here in Des Moines and in the state of Iowa that are very concerned about this system of having that much carbon in a stored place underground. And some of their questions definitely make sense in my head. I, I don't know a lot of the answers either. And even though none of us really have the full answers or a, a complete understanding of how these things work, I think that it's still exciting nonetheless that we're having some of these new things develop in the carbon space. And there's just more and more, I think, coming out each day. So over time, I think you and I are, are both going to get a better understanding of this and going to have a lot more interesting conversations, exciting conversations here on the podcast about this. But in the meantime, I've got another interesting idea coming to play here involving soybeans. Kansas farmer and United States Soybean Expert Council board member Lance Rezac says that demand for soybeans is directly linked to income, which I thought was interesting. It was also reported that the fish and poultry markets are helping drive worldwide soybean demand, helping increase farmers' profitability. And this kind of plays into that directly linked to income statement because Rezac says that when consumers have more money to spend, they'll purchase more food that was raised using soybeans. He said that there is so many people in the world that have a chance to go to a higher standard of living. We haven't even gotten into places like Africa and India. I think the demand for soy is going to keep going up. I think as producers, we have to keep producing what we can just to keep up with demand. 
So I thought that that was pretty interesting just because we've had a few demand for 2022 questions and conversations here on the podcast, you know, just in the two, three weeks that we've been into the new year here. And I had never really taken a look as to the demand for soybeans being directly linked to income. But I I mean, I think that he makes an interesting point. Yeah. And speaking of rising income, rising prices, the DTN reported today that fertilizer prices, as we've talked about on the podcast, are continuing to rise here at the start of 2022, however, at a much slower pace than we saw in 2021. Their monthly indicator showed that seven fertilizers had just slight price increases this month compared to the month prior, DAP, MAP, potash, and anhydrous, as well as UAN, are still at all-time highs, however, are progressing forward at a much slower rate than we saw in 2021. So is the top in sight? That is the million-dollar question. I certainly do not have the answer to, but I think a lot of folks are beginning to ask themselves that. Well, Delaney, I just have one other story to get to today. But before that, I'm going to put a quick pause on our conversation so we can hear a bit more from today's Sponsors, FMC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow. Picking this back up here, getting to my last story of the day, coming from the EPA, as the agency has forwarded to the Office of Management and Budget for review a proposed rule regarding canola oil pathways for renewable diesel, jet fuel, naphtha, and liquid propane gas under the RFS. Under this proposed rule, the EPA said it was, quote, providing an opportunity to comment on an analysis of the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions associated with certain biofuels that are produced from canola slash rapeseed oil, specifically diesel, jet fuel, heating oil, naphtha, and liquefied petroleum gas produced from canola via a hydro-treating process. EPA targeted release of the proposed rule this month and a final rule in July. So we're going to be waiting a little bit on that one, but definitely something to keep our eyes out on here. It certainly is, Ashton. And speaking of proposed rulings, we're already getting some indication from the EPA and Biden administration about what their proposed ruling is going to be when it comes to renewable gallons here under the 2022 renewable fuels standards. We know back in December, the EPA announced that corn ethanol cuts to the RFS for 2020 and 2021 were right in line with what a lot of folks were anticipating. But we've also seen now that they have called for a full 15 billion gallons to be cut here in 2022 as well which certainly is not going to be received well from the ag community. It feels like we've had a couple of different big blows this week to the ethanol and biofuels industry, Ashton. You know, Delaney, I am all out of news stories to talk about for today. So what do you say we go ahead and get into the markets here? I am excited to have that conversation, of course, because of the WASD today. 
Absolutely, Ashton. I am as well. Let's hop right in here and chat markets. And as you mentioned, really, corn didn't do much to recover from today's WASDI report, which again was maybe a little bit more bearish than what analysts were anticipating. But if I had to predict, I'd say today's market uh, minor, minor sell-off will will be quickly traded through. Today, March corn closed two cents lower at 5.99. The May down a penny and three quarters to close at $6, three quarters of a cent. In the soybean pits today, we saw big moves today in soybeans after reacting to the news of lowered South American, more specifically Brazilian, production. March soybeans added 12 and three quarters cents, closing at 13.99 and a quarter of the November, up 12 and a half cents, closing at 13, 12 and a half. In the wheat pits today, the Chicago March contract down 12 and a half cents, closing at 757 and three quarters. The May down 13, closing at 760 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw mixed trade in the protein markets as February live cattle closed $1.10 lower at 136.57 and a half. The April down 67 and a half cents, closing at 140.52 and a half. In feeder cattle today, that weakness continued as the March contract shed $1.32 and a half, closing at one sixty five oh two and a half. The April down $1.35, closing at one sixty eight seventy seven. And in lean hogs today, the February contract up a dollar, closing at seventy eight eighty five. The April up a dollar twenty, closing at eighty five forty. And lastly, checking out the Class Three dairy milk futures today, the February contract added twenty one cents, settling settling the day at twenty two forty one. The March up thirty one cents on the day, closing out the day at twenty two forty. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Lucas. Well, folks, as we mentioned at the top of today's podcast, we are sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. We're going to talk a little bit more about that product today with production location agronomist Darren Lucas, who's been with the company for seven years ongoing. So Darren, certainly appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So Darren, before we talk a little bit about crop management, which is a bulk of today's conversation, and more importantly, pest management and disease management. Let's talk a little bit about your role at Bex Hybrids. What do you do as the production location agronomist? Yeah, so here at Bex, um, I work closely with our operations lead. So him and I kind of tag team the day-to-day operations. Um, He focuses more on the uh, operational side as far as the equipment, uh, directing traffic there, and then I focus heavily on just obviously agronomy. So I have a team of full-time agronomy technicians underneath me and uh, we scout all of our seed corn and seed soybean acres in the Atlanta headquarters location. And uh, what we're looking for is things uh, like, you know, insects, weeds, diseases, um, taking in information uh, that we see in the field and trying to make decisions off those throughout the season. So a little bit of management of the whole the production process as a whole and just trying to make agronomic decisions. So, And obviously we're just getting off of a crop year here as we turn our attentions already to the 2022 growing season, but looking back at the 2021 growing season, what was that planting year like for Bex and also Bex customers? I think in, a, in our geography here, um, we had a really smooth planting season. Um, I know some of our 
seed production acres out in Iowa uh, struggled a little bit with with some weather, um, a little bit wetter spring for them in their area. Uh, there's obviously some areas uh, that struggle with some drought. So we were pretty fortunate in our area that it, everything went pretty smooth. Uh, weather was pretty fa- favorable. It, it would get things planted timely and uh, didn't really have many issues as far as getting things planted when we needed to get planted. So it went pretty well. And I, I would say I would echo that for the, the growers in our area as well. I think uh, this particular geography uh, fared pretty well and, and it seemed like yields uh, for corn and soybeans were, were pretty good for this area too. So. So Darren, from a disease standpoint, we want to look into that as well, because one of the products that we're talking about today deals with that. So when it comes to foliar diseases, which of these are of most concern to you and to Beck's seed production operation? Right. So here in our geography, the diseases, the foliar diseases that we fight most commonly are, uh, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. Uh, we see a little bit of common rust, uh, and and then all the obviously the big, uh, big one that come about recently is tar spot, and we actually saw that for the first time uh, this year in our seed corn production acres. Uh, most was uh, very minimal um, in terms of pressure, but we did see some of that. Uh, but I would say gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight are kind of the big two that we fight here. Uh, our, our acres. So Darren, as you're looking at expectations and ideas for 2022, obviously, like you mentioned there, tar spot was a big one that a lot of producers dealt with all across the country. You know, we talked to quite a few folks here on the podcast, farmers and agronomists, both that dealt with it. But as you look at setting the needle for 2022, what's the process like for Bex to go about deciding what new products, what new things such as the Zyway brand fungicide that they're going to implement and make recommendations on for growers? Right. So I guess one thing I'll start off with is our PFR program tests a lot of these products uh, beforehand. So we can actually look at our own data to see what we're seeing, uh, look at university data, um, look at products that are logistically uh, easy to implement into our system. And uh, just looking at, uh, you know, seeing the efficacy of of certain products on certain diseases. So if we obviously want to pick a product that targets that disease, or if it's gray leaf spot, we want to pick a product that targets that disease. So um, when we're thinking about management strategies for next season, we really want to pick products that fit well into our system, have multiple modes of action, um, and can target a variety of diseases. Before we continue on with our conversation, Darren, want to go ahead and hear a little bit more from FMC about the Zyway products we're talking about. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. And so as you look at disease in 2022, are there any in particular that you're paying close attention to? Right, like we've like we've already kind of talked about, tar spot is, is a big one. So uh, after seeing it for the first time here on our seed acres in Atlanta, it's it's on our radar now. So um, again, it was it was a disease that 
in our area was uh, very minimal in terms of its impact, I would say, uh, for us. But it's still something we want to keep a close eye out on since we still are, are learning a lot about it and, and, and don't know much about it. So we want to make sure that we uh, take on strategies, be proactive, that, that'll fight the disease and keep it, keep it at bay. So Darren, like I mentioned earlier, one of the major things we're talking about here today is Zyway. So I want to hear a little bit more about this from you, why you enjoy using this product, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we really enjoyed using the product this year. We used it uh, on a larger scale than we did the previous year. The previous year, we'd use it on just about 2,500 acres, or sorry, 25 acres. Uh, and this year, ramped it up to about 3,000 acres of usage after seeing the benefits. Um, but it was it was really easy to implement for us. Uh, we use majority of what we used was the Zyway LFR formulation. And we could just inject that right into our starter fertilizer. Everything that we plant gets a starter fertilizer. So we put it right in with the starter, put it in two by two, and uh, saw great results. Uh, we did try a little bit of the 3D formulation, um, but uh, we do run the capture on all, all of our acres as well, the insecticide. So um, we wanted to keep running the insecticide through, through that system. So using the... Uh, LFR formulation was a little bit easier for us and uh, really handy to have something uh, in in the ground right there at planting. It's a good insurance. Uh, you know, you get later later in the season, it, it can be kind of difficult, uh, logistically challenging to get into the field. You know, when we're doing other you know operations in the field like detasseling, maybe we're trying to irrigate a field. Um, so having a fungicide there in the in the ground, uh, protecting the plant throughout the season. It's just it's a good feeling to know that you got something out there protecting against foliar diseases. Yeah, and I think one thing to make sure we really hit home here is that this this Zyway brand fungicide is the first and only at plant foliar fungicide, which obviously saves a lot of time and effort later on down the road. So you don't have to have multiple applications and uses. And Darren, you guys have used this over a couple of different growing seasons now with multiple with additionally more acres every year how has this worked from a cost and time saving standpoint because i think at the end of the day we really as producers have to evaluate does this save me money or does this increase my yield as far as a time saving from a time saving standpoint we get to like i mentioned earlier we get to that time of year where we're need to spray foliar fungicides it can be challenging to do it when it co coincides with other operations um, and, and then also it'll save the, the grower some, some dollars, uh, because you don't have to make a, an additional application, uh, with the sprayer later in the season, or if it's, whether it's a ground applicator or an area, area applicator here at Atlanta, we use, uh, ground applicators since we are able to get over seed acres with, since embreds are a little bit shorter, but in terms of a cost standpoint, it's, it came out actually a little bit cheaper than it would be to either fly it on or to put it on with a ground rig and uh, you know that time that you, you get to do other operations later in the summer is, is valuable so you want to use it doing maybe doing other things so as we're entering 2022 and quickly approaching the planting season here what are your expectations for the upcoming year when it comes to what the planting season might be like when it comes to to weather maybe anything else that you're kind of anticipating that we might go through this planting slash growing season 
Right. That's that's the golden question. We we wish we could we wish we knew. So um when it comes to using a product like Zyway, uh like I said, having having that product out early, having it out, you know, when you know you can put it on, um and having that insurance in the field is is valuable. So because we don't know what the growing season is going to be like. We don't know what the you know the weather, the rainfall totals are going to be like, the humidity, all those things that kind of influence uh, disease development. So um, having something, a product like this is just something good to have out early, gives us good protection and, uh, you know, kind of hedges our risk against things that we can't predict. And that certainly is where tools like the Zyway fungicide help with some of that, because obviously we can't predict what disease is going to be in the field, what challenges we'll face as growers. And I think this product does a really nice job of being able to kind of forecast ahead because, you know, you get to a certain point in the growing season and it might be too late to anticipate some of those challenges. Yep, exactly. Well, Darren, we certainly appreciate your time today for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Darren for coming on and talking a little bit more about the Zyway brand fungicides. Definitely appreciate that conversation and the support for today's podcast. I certainly would agree with that, Ashton. And it's going to be interesting. We're going to have other conversations with some folks talking about the FMC product line coming up here over the next couple of months, as well as tons of other great conversations. I know we're chatting weather later this week with Eric Snodgrass, ask him why the heck it's so warm today, but going to be cold again on Friday. And Ashton, if folks want to stay up to date on the latest things we're sharing, they can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.